Welcome to I Can't Fucks With You, Confessions of an Uppity Black Woman, where I, Osado, walk you through all the things I no longer fucks with once I have fully accepted my role as an uppity black woman in America. And what is an uppity black woman, you may ask? A uppity black woman is a woman who has invested in herself, yet the world tells her she is nothing. The world wants her to behave as if she has not invested in herself. And she says, guess what? I can't fucks with this no more. So if you are an uppity black woman or you are curious as to what uppity black women think about, this show is for you. So sit back and enjoy the ride. In our first segment, what we are not fucking with today is the uppity black woman's lack of participation in substantive self-care initiatives. So today I want to talk about this concept of self-care, right? Unfortunately, when we hear these words self-care, it is applied to white women, right? There's been a watering down of this idea of what self-care means and whether we as Black women can participate in it, right? You know, how many times have you seen that chick in the supermarket, right? She got a spiritual gangster sweatshirt on. You just want to punch in the face. You want to be like, bitch, spiritual gangster, Brooklyn bitch, right? Like, nah, son. Because, you know, it's fake. It's fluffy. It's that whole love and light and all this other nonsense, right? But when we really get down to the concept of what is self-care, right? That self-care is so critical, so critical to the Black woman's survival, right? It is so critical to the Black woman's survival, us not participating in periods in which we are doing self-care, however that might look like for you. We are lining ourselves up for early death, whether we want to believe it or not, right? See, sis, the thing that we are battling, really, what we are battling is letting go of the imagery that has been presented to us of what a good black woman is, right? So what's a good black woman, right? So good black woman puts everybody's needs before her own. So that is the needs of her family, right? I I always like to say every black family got an Uncle Riri, right? Uncle Riri is a nigga that's always fucking up. Uncle Riri goes in and out of jail. Uncle Riri got many baby mamas. Uncle Riri just always stay fucking up. And so we can't help but help Uncle Riri, right? Uncle Riri know to call your ass to bail his ass out of jail. You know what I'm saying? So she's going to put Uncle Riri first. Then she's going to put her children first. She's going to put her work first. She's going to put her church first, right? She's going to put her mama first. Basically, everybody else gets first, but not her. She can never put herself first. Because the idea of putting herself first, she's already told herself that is selfish. She's already told herself she's not deserving. She's already told herself she's a strong black woman. So she doesn't need to be put put herself first. She can endure all that the world is looking for her to provide. So she's going to pour into everybody else before she pours into herself. If she ever pours into herself. 
But here is the thing. If you do not pour into yourself, and when I'm saying pour into yourself, that you have periods of respite, you have periods in which you fill your cup, you have periods of rest, you have periods of relaxation, you have periods of solitude, you have periods of silence, you have periods of self-awareness, you have periods of connecting with nature, you have periods of being self-reflective, that shit you pouring into everybody else, you are just pouring dust. I don't know how else to say it. So many of us will utilize our children as measuring sticks of how good a black woman we are, right? Or we'll use our job titles as a measuring stick of how good a black woman we are. But the shit is all an illusion because you empty and dry inside. So you pour in dust into your babies. So you think because you done took the kid to soccer and hockey and signed the baby up for art lessons and cello and then took the baby to the grandmama house and then took the baby to uh, plan a sleepover with 800 of their friends that you doing great. But guess what? You doing that from a place of obligation. It's not from a place of love. You doing it because you think that's what you're supposed to do. So imagine. You know all of the things it takes to raise a child in this world, right? And then forget about you raising a child. Maybe you raising your child on your own. Like, I'm a single mama. Didn't expect to be a single mama. But guess what? Those are the cards that I've been dealt. And that's what I'm dealing with. So for the beginning part of my single motherhood, in an effort to sort of showcase to the world that I got this shit handled, right? The amount of running around and exhaustion that I participated in. And again, all in an effort to prove to the outside world like I was good. I'll give you an example. So I have a daughter that plays ice hockey. And she's been playing ice hockey for quite some time. She is almost 12 and she's been playing ice hockey effectively since she was four years old. And... When I abruptly became single mama, and I'm going to refer to the nigga right now as my baby daddy, right? (laughs) Never thought I'd be part of the baby daddy club, but apparently I am. And as you've heard me say before, this is a fellow Nigerian. So no longer being together, you know, being divorced, that is not culturally acceptable. There is a place for the good African girl. You marry You have your children and it is forever until you die. Okay. That's why we call it divorce. Okay. (laughs) Somebody needs to die (laughs) before we are no longer together. Okay. So that was just not the case for me. Since I was so trained, so conditioned, no matter what is going on in your life, you present to the world, your shit is tight. So meanwhile, while I'm going through all this internal chaos, That's right. The destruction of a marriage, the sudden single motherhood and accepting like being viewed as a single mother, the financial pressures to keep up what I had already, you know, started doing. Right. So keep up the lifestyle, keep up the house, keep up all of your other extracurricular activities. That shit is stressful. That shit is stressful. So for I would say a good two, three years of that introduction to all of a sudden that single motherhood and sort of contending or reconciling that rather with 
all of my trainings, and we've talked about before, uh, the trainings related to being an uppity black woman, the investments in myself, the investments my parents have made in me, the investments colleagues have made in me, right, to get me to where I am. So now throw single mamahood on top of it, it was not in alignment with where I thought my life was going. And so because there's all this pressure to continue whatever it is that you have been working towards as that strong black woman, as that uppity black woman, there's no time to sit and reflect and do self-assessment and self-care and self-recovery. I got to take the bitch to ice hockey. So if you are familiar with being a parent of a child that plays ice hockey, no disrespect to the people that got, they call themselves soccer moms, but y'all ain't got shit on ice hockey. I'm sorry. Y'all ain't got shit on ice hockey. Okay. From the equipment to the tournaments, to the time, rink time. Yo, this bitch would have games. I know, I just refer to my my 11-year-old as a bitch, but get used to it, I curse, right? So this bitch would have games at 6 a.m. Down in, you know, 45 minutes away. And so these kids gotta be on the ice 45 minutes before a game because rink times are so limited, right? So it's not like where you could find a soccer field anywhere. Somebody could have a soccer field in their backyard. You could have a basketball court anywhere, a school, a church, cafeteria, right? Rinks are few and far between. And then rink time itself is limited because there are so many teams and there's adult skating, figure skating. So yeah, this bitch would have games at six o'clock, 45 minutes away, hour away. They gotta be on the ice 45 minutes before a game. So if I'm down an hour away, she got a 6 a.m. game, she got to be on the ice at 5.15, my black ass is leaving home 4.15, 4.30 on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. That shit is crazy, right? So that's why I say soccer moms, I respect y'all, but y'all ain't got shit on hockey mom. So I was doing all of this shit. I'm driving here, I'm driving there, we going to tournaments, I'm paying the tuition, then coupled with like... Oh, you're going to go to the friend's birthday party and, you know, we're going to plan the event at the Great Adventures, whatever the case is going to be, right? Doing all of that shit because I'm showcasing to the world, <laughs> single mom, bitch, I still got it. Still got it. Poor, 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 pouring all the shit into my daughter. But meanwhile, completely neglecting the shit I need. Because you got to understand, you could pour all day, but if you pour from an empty cup, what you pour into your babies is dust. And I don't want your dust, right? I want your good shit. And your good shit only comes from a space of overflow. So it was not until I started really doing the work of therapy and really sitting and assessing how am I pouring into myself? And even before I can do that assessment about how I'm pouring into myself, I got to stop and reflect. So if I'm stopping and reflecting, that means I'm being self-aware. If I'm stopping and reflecting, that means I'm also resting. Then I'm able to see patterns. I'm able to see that my heart is racing. I'm able to notice little things about myself. Like, wait, wait a minute. I am not well. <laughs> I am not okay. And it's not until we do that can we really start to pour into other people. So it is not coincidental, right? And I always go back to the writings of Bell Hooks because she has always laid it out so beautifully. And what kills me is she's writing this shit 40 years ago. You know what I mean? And we still haven't learned. 
So in her book, Sisters of the Yen, Black Women in Self-Recovery, right, there's a reason that I utilize this as one of the anchor books in my course, The Black Woman Liberation Formula, because she talks about the necessity of the Black woman doing her own self-recovery through acts of self-love. But she likes to use the word being inwardly loving. Being inwardly loving. It is a default vibration of the Black woman to automatically go to spaces of showcasing love through obligation, right? I have to do this because that's my baby. I gotta do this because she my mama. I gotta do this because that's Uncle Riri. But if we are only doing these things out of obligation, these are not things that are subsequently joyous to us. These are not things that bring us happiness because we feel like we just have to do them. Because we haven't done our own self-assessment, our own self-recovery, our own self-reflection about the shit that we need. Maybe you need to cut Uncle Riri out your life. Maybe you need to cut your mama out your life. You know what I mean? But we just on autopilot because we think that's just what we're supposed to do because we haven't listened to our spirit. That's the struggle. That is a struggle. Understanding when we're talking about self-care, this is not white women shit. It's not. Unfortunately, the language has been co-opted and manipulated and just sort of watered down. So we think that's just fluffy white people shit, but it's not. When I say it is a matter of life and death, it literally is. Because if it doesn't ultimately kill you in actuality, right? Because we're not addressing our own needs. Those things end up showing up as high blood pressure, heart attack, cancer. Check up on it. Check up on it in your life. Because I know you know sister girls that have died at the age of 45. I know you know it. Any black woman that dies less than the age of 50, I always attribute it to, it's something in her heart. Something in her heart. Whether it shows up as high blood pressure, cancer, or a heart attack is tied to something in her heart. That's a death from heartache. You see what I'm saying? Different conversation, but check up on it in your life. Any sister girl that has died under the age of 50 that shit is related to something in her heart because she was she was not being inwardly loving in some way, shape, or form. You work extra hard, your ass gonna get cancer. Look, controversial. People don't like to hear it. I do not tell lies. I don't tell lies. That's something I'm real committed to. I only speak truth, my truth. Okay? Right? So let's start thinking about what we mean when we say self-care. And challenge question for you. Are you doing it? Because guess what? If you're not all that shit that you are doing, running around trying to prove you're a good black woman, you're just slowly killing yourself, my friend. In this next segment, we look deeper into the implications of what happens when we don't fuck with self-care and the uppity black woman begins to normalize health concerns that are certainly not normal. We as Black women normalize, normalize so many of our health concerns. 
So we normalize things like insomnia, we'll normalize chest pain, we'll normalize heavy periods, we'll normalize shortness of breath, we'll normalize heart racing, we'll normalize uh, sleeplessness, we'll normalize stomach pains and diarrhea and knee pain and hip pain and back pain and migraines, right? We make these things normal and then we start to integrate them into our lives and just make it seem as if this is supposed to be a part of our life, a life living in pain, a life living without sleep, a life living with these incredibly heavy periods that you're incredibly anemic because we don't make time for ourselves to care for ourselves. We just make this a part of our lives. And since this shit is not normal, it's not normal. And I'll speak from experience. For a good six, seven years, I normalized incredibly heavy periods. Incredibly heavy. To the point that it impacted my daily life. But I normalized that. I made that shit work. And it was not until I had a doctor's appointment, right? And you know, I only fuck with black doctors, right? All my doctors is black or a person of color. But the only one, you know, my baby's ENT doctor, her allergist, she a woman who happens to be white, right? And that is because I think black people don't believe in allergies. I know Africans don't believe in allergies. So I'm not surprised. It was very difficult to find a black person. But I am real intentional about utilizing black people, people of color as part of my care team because, you know, they take my needs seriously. And there's been, you know, a great number of studies of how black people are treated in the healthcare system. And um, I just naturally feel more comfortable with people that look like me. So for a good six or seven years, I was having these incredibly heavy periods, right? So I go to my doctor and this was just a regular annual checkup. And it just so happened the way that the doctor asked a question this time raised all these alarm bells. So doc goes, how often do you change your pads or tampons, you know, when you're on your period? I said, "Mm, every 15 minutes, girl, you know, in those cartoons when it is like a flurry of paper or it's like a movie montage and it's showcasing like the person is working hard. And so they're surrounded by all this paper and the paper's flying in the air, it's flying off the typewriter. This is what that woman did when I said every 15 minutes, she's just like threw all her papers in the air and started like scurrying. She's like, girl. You got a problem, basically, is what she was saying. She's like, you can't come here no more. Because I was going to that doctor. She was a general practitioner, but she also did paps and she did my like breast exam and all of that. No, she was a GP. So I didn't have a separate OB-GYN because I could do all that there at my general practitioner. She's like, "Uh uh-uh, girl, (laughs) you need somebody special. And then here started all of these other deeper dives into what was going on with these incredibly heavy periods. So it turns out I had these massive fibroids, (laughs) (laughs) huge fibroids that were causing these heavy periods that I had normalized 
Long story short, um, that was causing me significant anemia. And, you know, I was getting these infusions and my hematologist, also black woman, Haitian woman, she's like, yo, you can keep coming back here, get these infusions. <laughs> like, I'll be here. I'm going to collect that check. But honey, this is no way to live, baby. Like, you need to handle these, get these fibroids taken out. Right? And so my... OB, GYN, happens to be a gynecological obstetrician. And last year I had those fibroids removed, right? And it turns out I had 14 fibroids. And my doctor referred to them. I had two plums and 12 strawberries in my uterus. Okay, two plums and 12 strawberries in my uterus. So so picture that. So this was what was causing this heavy bleeding. I had to have this major surgery get them removed. So now fast forward a year later, girl, girl, when I say I had normalized, normalized, normalized this health concern and now being in the space in which I don't have these incredibly heavy periods, I'm like, how was I living before? First of all, forget the use of all the tampons and pads and the incredible waste that created. But I think about how disruptive it was to my life. Because you can't be traveling far. You on your period with this incredibly every beer. You know what I mean? And I was doing all of that. And I was living, working, hustling, grinding, right? And so I was incredibly anemic. So my body was compensating by taking blood, oxygen from other parts of my organs because I was so depleted. And so although I felt, in quotation marks, normal, I was not. So my body parts were stealing from other body parts to just survive, right? Because there was not enough oxygen being transported throughout my body because I was losing so much blood, iron when I had had my periods, right? So it had to steal from other body parts to steal from other organs. Um, But I feel, in quotation marks, fine, but actually I was slowly dying. I was slowly dying. My organs were slowly dying. And I was doing this shit for years. And so I always think about what was happening in my life that would help facilitate some of these issues. So sis, when we have stress, when we suppress shit, Our body deposits shit places because we real good at stuffing shit down, right? So when I think about that time period where my fibroids got to that stage in which they became two plums and 12 strawberries, this was all the period stress time when I was going through all the shit with my ex-husband, trying to manage shit, trying to like just be. Right. But I still got to hold shit down and like pretend I'm all good and like be the best of the best and be a strong black woman. Meanwhile, my ass is dying inside. Dead. Basically dead. Because before I had my daughter, my daughter's almost 12. Before I had my daughter during your routine exams, you know, while you're pregnant, my uh, gynecologist at that time said I had three very tiny three very tiny fibroids the size of grapes. She said, don't do nothing. You good, you good. They're tiny. Don't bother them. Leave them alone. You good, you good. Fast forward. The shit turned into two plums and 12 strawberries. And I think about all the stress I was just swallowing, stuffing down to appear like I was good. So that shit deposits somewhere, right? It deposits somewhere. 
It got to go somewhere. Mine happened to go into my uterus and turn into that shit. So think about where your shit is depositing. Is your ass sleeping? You got back pain? Your leg hurt? You have constant headaches? Your breast hurt? What, did you just get a recent cancer diagnosis? Did you get a recent like high blood pressure diagnosis? Now you on uh, prescription medications? You see what I'm saying? Like if you don't deal with your shit, the shit shows up in different ways. Your body's like, okay, that's fine. We don't need to talk about it, but I'm gonna go right in your ass. All of a sudden you got colon cancer. All of a sudden you have cancer of the uterus. All of a sudden you have angina. All of a sudden, your ass can't sleep. All of a sudden, you have debilitated migraines. That is your body. That is your mind. That is your heart telling you deal with the shit. Deal with the shit. Deal with the shit. And I know we don't want to because it sort of brings up this flood of other emotion once we open that Pandora's box of our body. And so now to be on the other side of, oh my God, I had so normalized the abnormal. There was a point in time, like bending over to tie my shoe was like, I had to mentally prep for that because I would get so dizzy. And that dizziness was from my anemia. But I just chalked it up to like, oh yeah, everybody gets dizzy when they bend down and tie the shoe. No, Osado, that's not what happens, boo-boo. You see what I'm saying? Like I had so made it normal that little daily actions. I told myself, no, this is what happens to everybody. Even though I know there was a point of time in my life when I bent down and tied my shoes, my ass didn't get dizzy. So challenge question for you. Begin to assess what things in your life have you normalized from a healthcare perspective that are not normal? That are not normal. What is your body trying to tell you? It's talking to you, baby. Question is, are you listening? All right, folks, until next time.